So I want to talk with you a little bit about how to work with a partner or a guide, and then also a little bit about how to do a little journaling or writing about your experience. And I have handouts for this, so you'll be, it, you don't have to write any of this down or remember it, you know, just kind of take it in. So, and, and then after that explanation and answering any questions you might have, then I'm going to encourage all of us to go off and practice and go through this process. And you can decide if you want to work with a partner. Um, find someone, and if you'd rather work on your own, that's okay too. And, and, and I'll, I'll talk about that in a minute. <coughs> so, one of the things that I have found very, very helpful in my practice actually both of these things. I have found it very helpful to keep a demon journal. <laughs> I have a journal just for demons. <laughs> and uh, Lama Sultan talks about right, using a journal in her book. And so that I, I write down all the kind of answers to the questions, the way the demon looked, the way the ally looked the way various things felt. And, um, there's a, a tracking form, I call it, online on the website um, at taramandala.org. And I uh, have something here that's similar. It's not quite the same, so it says here it's based on that demon tracking form. But this is a handout that you can, you know, it's got all the kind of questions and things you might want to put down and, and, and keep. I find that when I'm doing this work myself, you know, you get into a bit of an altered state to let those answers come up, I guess I would call it. I don't mean to scare anyone <laughs> with that, but it's hard sometimes to remember what happened exactly. I remember exactly what, you know, things look like. So it's good to write them down right away, I find. And it's very useful, I find, to visit it later and then use that information as I work to change what I want to change in the way that I'm dealing with those particular situations or feelings. So we'll be passing this out in, in a few minutes. And it's basically uh, nothing new compared, you know, relative to what we did this morning. It's just a way to log it and, and put it down. There is more that you can do with journaling, and um, I'll leave that for your own study. And then working with a partner. So this handout is also from the Taramandala website. And this one is exactly from the website. And it gives you the basic words and outline of how to 
guide the process. Oh, if you work on your own, I'll give you this this handout. You can have both handouts, but when you work on your own, um, this one is the appendix from the book that's got the process in brief. So you can just follow through it. Um, If you work with someone else, then there are a couple of things that are important to remember. Uh, The idea is you can set up just like you do for practicing by yourself with a cushion or a chair in front of you and like that. And then the person guiding you is off to the side. And their role is to observe and to kind of guide you through the process, remind you of what you're discovering and saying. And you can say things out loud and they can be there with you and, and repeat. And when you repeat what the when you're the guide and you're repeating what they're saying, use their exact words. And you're a witness. You're not really you're not leading them anywhere. You're not gonna direct anything. You're just witnessing and helping by, you know, reminding them of what's next in the process or what they just said, that kind of thing. So there are some really good the first couple paragraphs here are really good. Uh, guidance for how to be a good guy. Don't interpret their words. Um, and so you'll see, you can read through that quickly if you want to before you start, if you do this as a partnership. And then you can switch and um, the other one can do the work and change the witness role demon feeding wall. Are there any questions at this point? Yes? Uh, question for you about a favorite practice where you're already meditating for a minutes a day. How do you incorporate this? So, is it in addition to, is it replace it for a little while, or is it on as needed basis? Or? It's definitely in addition to, it does not replace any practice mm-hmm. at all. <coughs> like in the three months where you said you would do this, it would be Oh, it's extra. It's extra, okay. it's extra and. Um, at that point, I was, you know, working in high tech. I was, you know, going to ministry school. I was in a relationship. The whole, the whole catastrophe. John Tyson could enter the room. <laughs> you know, the full catastrophe. And um, and you know, sometimes you can't just like, oh, wait a minute, manager, I need to go feed a demon. <laughs> Excuse me. <laughs> so uh, sometimes I, I would just kind of like, okay, I'm going to back to you later. And then I'd get home and it'd be kind of like this runway <laughs> lineup. And, uh, and and I would work with, work with them. And um, so it's a real commitment. And it doesn't take the place of, of sitting meditation. I believe sitting meditation or... I don't necessarily want to uh, lock it into a particular posture, but concentration, meditation, samadhi, uh, samatha, sati, mindfulness, however however you're doing a regular meditation practice, 
um, that's like a solid foundation that gives us the opportunity to do whatever other work. And that may seem like a lot. Like at that time, the ministry program I was in required a commitment of meditating that part, that style, you know, concentration meditation, one hour a day minimum. So I was in that part of a woman's life when you wake up in the middle of the night and you're just awake. You're either tossing and turning in bed worrying about everything or get up and meditate. <laughs> so I would get it done out of the way early in the morning or middle of the night. But then it's like this this is more as needed. I this is the way I did it. More as needed. I think um, a person could also decide that they just want to do it every day or do it, you know. So it sounds, you know, sometimes like, well, that's asking a lot. I've already I've got, I've got 15 minutes to meditate a day. Sorry, <laughs> that's it. And and yet, um, it's so valuable, and you can do it. You know, um, you don't have to be in ideal conditions. You can do it in your office or um, in traffic. So true. I think so. Just don't, don't get too distracted. <laughs> yes. Um, doing it over time, do you find that a pantheon of demons gets down to a real deep core? Yeah, and and, and um, the demons themselves, the images of what comes up, can be anything, anytime. But the but the the, the buttons, the hurt spots, the. Uh, the, the wounded places, uh, they start resolving down. And uh, Mama Seltramalioni talks at the end of the book about how you get practice at this and you don't really have to go through all the steps. You can, you can kind of transmute things pretty fast. Yeah. So I had some trouble with asking um, a visualized being, what do you need from what you want from me, what do you need from me, well, what's the difference? Okay, that's a very good question. And I think um, the difference for me was mainly learned through her examples and recognizing that um, the way I've experienced it, that asking what it wants is more on the, the presentation level. Like the the, rough, the kind of course level, the the what's what's right out there in front. If it's anger or you know what what do you want from me? What do you want from me? I want I want I want your life. I want you to suffer like I'm suffering. You know that it doesn't have to be like that, but it's one example and. Um, and I think a lot of times when we have conflict, that's what gets presented. Uh, without saying what I want from you is, um, it, it, it's kind of at that level, you know. But, and then what do you need? It's like, what do you really need? What do you really need? And that's kind of like it stops. It stops the demon for a minute because. It's like, hmm, I'm not, it's not just expressing. It's like, hmm, what do I really mean? 
My goodness, she's asking me what I really need. Wow, that's different. First of all, <laughs> I think most of the time, and um, and then and then the you know there's this kind of knowledge in my head about the process. So it's like I know that this is this is asking to go on. It's like when someone says, "Hi, how are you?" How much do they want to know? You know, and then and then if it's a friend and they say, "No, really." How are you? In a way, sometimes you got to get that part that presents itself first out of the way first. Mm-hmm. You know? Mm-hmm. Hear that part out. And then, so what do you really need? That's how I <coughs> see the difference. And then how do you feel when you get it? Just allowing that aspect of ourselves to even imagine that, I think, really opens up um, well, this is what I've been missing. Thank you. That's a very good question. I mean, questions are all good. Sometimes I get clarified in the right place. Without help. Yeah. What um, indicates to you that it's time to do this process? I'm suffering. Okay. It's as simple as that. The Buddha wanted us to notice when we are suffering. And we have... How many ways do we have to leave our lover? That song way back in Fifty. We have at least fifty ways to avoid our suffering, to leave our suffering unattended, and we and we have some very good escape mechanisms and ways to cover over the fact that we are not comfortable. I think I lived at least forty years uncomfortable. At least, not comfortable really in my skin. Not really comfortable in social contexts. Not really, you know, if you really look at it, how comfortable am I? How happy? How at ease? How able to accept and be, you know? If that's not happening, there's suffering going on. And so I think that's why the Buddha said, you know, there's suffering here. There's suffering here. If there weren't suffering here, that would mean you're free. So that's why. Then when I noticed the suffering and then um, working with, it was particularly with Marlene Alliance for a couple of years, one-on-one. This is another thing I was going to say that was really helpful to me as I was um, learning how to do this kind of thing is um, to have a coach. And she could help me see where I was making an escape. So something like anger can actually be an escape from our feelings. Because usually anger has something much more underneath it. Uh, Thomas Gordon called it the tip of the iceberg. 
as below the anger, is usually fear or hurt and or something. And we don't want to know it. We don't want to feel it. We want to get the heck away from it. And so we escape. We go into our head and make stories and all of that. Or we go to the refrigerator or we put on a TV or we call a friend. I loved calling a friend. I would pick out the one that I knew was going to agree with me on this. <laughs> and it's all a way to get away from that horrible feeling. Or even if it's just a minorly crummy feeling. The fact that I'm, you know, even, you know, we're uncomfortable sitting, so we move. Nothing wrong with that, except that we don't really log, I'm uncomfortable sitting. So that discomfort, we keep on, we keep moving, we keep shifting, we keep changing, go from one relationship to another, a different job, a different this, a different that, a new something, uh, you know, and, and it's always trying to get away from that discomfort. It can be. And so there's at least 50 ways <laughs> to leave our, our suffering. Um, and there was one time when something big happened. Some, you know, sometimes, sometimes those big things come right out of the blue and whack you, you know, and your whole life starts changing. And uh, I wanted to go shopping. I never want to go shopping. I thought, oh man, <laughs> this is bad. <laughs> so, so it's like, okay, then sit down and be with, be with that, be with that. And so sometimes it's really helpful to be with it with a coach or a friend, and this. Lama Sochanoi does such a good job of laying this out and um, it's possible to, to be a witness for somebody um, just helping hold the space. And, um, and I, I, I found that really valuable. Yeah. Um, a lot of what you're saying does have resonance and Except for think about shopping, because I always shopping. <laughs> but, um, Maybe you're not escaping. Maybe you I can... am escaping. Oh, okay. <laughs> but, I'm glad you got so, that clear. So there's a point where it's like, you notice that you're suffering. You know that there's some way to not suffer. But then there's this little, I guess it's one of those demons that says, well, so what? You know? <laughs> and it's like, there's some, I don't know what I, I guess I would call it some muscle of will that needs to be developed to make the better decision, to make the better choice. And I don't know if it's just a matter of time before that muscle gets strong enough, but without beating myself up for my things that I know are increasing my suffering, I just, I just find that the habit patterns just kind of take over and you know you're going to feel better for at least a little while so you just do it anyway yeah the Buddha you know, talked about this I don't know how to get around that but that's the stuck point for me the Buddha had some good advice around this stuff um, first of all I'm glad you brought up the word habit because that's the first thing that came to my mind I wouldn't say it's a demon with it's voice in my ear 
I would say it's a habit. And part of the reason that we, we develop those habits of escape is because we don't have better tools. And we don't realize that, yeah, you'll be able to get relief for a short time, but it's going to come back. It's not really going to help break it down, uh, break it down, feed it. It's not gonna, it's not gonna satisfy. Okay. So the Buddha, when, at one point in the numerical discourses, he talks about, I think it's in the it doesn't matter. Um, he talks about the different sort of attainments and stages. And he, in one place I know he used you know, the jhanas as an example, where, you know, like let's say you're working with the first jhana. And it, there are some of you probably don't know what jhanas, you may not know what jhanas are. It's, these are levels of concentration and they have specific qualities that the Buddha identified. And the first level of, of jhana requires Applied thought, it has five components, applied thought, sustained thought, PT, which is translated as rapture, which is a kind of sens- sensation of fullness, or it's a level, it's an indication of concentration, and sukha, which is pleasant feeling, and one-pointed consciousness. Okay? So without, without worrying about that detail, the Buddha was saying, you know, I knew that having one-pointed concentration would be better for me. Why am I not doing that? It's because I haven't realized the danger in not having that one-pointed concentration. And he goes on to other things, like when he, when he knows that letting go of thought in, in concentration would be better. Why am I not making the effort? Why am I not putting the energy into doing that? It's because I haven't really got taken in at a gut level the danger in thought, the danger with staying at this, this level that I'm at. So I think when we're suffering and we there can be a number of reasons why we don't address it in a way that's productive. We may not know how to. We may have very strongly ingrained habits and we haven't really given it much thought. Or, you know, But we also may not see the, the problem with it. We may not really see that there is something wrong with this suffering. After all, it's just me that's suffering. I'm not blasting it out at anybody else, at least not right now. <laughs> And it's just me suffering. Like, I don't, a lot of times we don't seem to care how much we beat ourselves up or we, you know, it's like, it's okay if I'm suffering. We don't see the danger in it. And the truth is, it doesn't stay, in my experience, it doesn't stay confined to me and my experience. It does spill over onto other people. I noticed when I was in the monastery, so you live in a monastery. First of all, every aspect of your life is constrained. How you eat, how much you sleep, how, where you sleep, how you sleep, um, how much you talk, 
There's no entertainment. There's no sex. When you get to brown level, you can't have no money. Your escape routes are really limited. <laughs> it took a few years on eight precepts before I realized, you know what? This blocks off all the natural things that all animals and humans do to make themselves feel better when they feel crummy. I can't just go to sleep. I can't go to the refrigerator. I can't turn on media. I can't have sex. I can't go shopping. <laughs> I can't even necessarily call home. Sometimes you can. So it's like you really are, you know, it's voluntary. You can leave any time. It's not like anybody's holding you there. You're not being tortured. You're just being trained. And you're signing up for it yourself. So, you know, okay, I decided to be here. I'm still here. Okay, I'm still here. This feels awful. Okay. <laughs> That's still here. And and then you really have to look at your mind because, you know, you're forced, well, forced, right? But you're, you're meditating every day with the, with the group. The whole team is in there, you know. You're <laughs> and and um, what I noticed is that sometimes I would get irritable, irritable and snap at somebody or... Um, you know, something verbal that I didn't like, that I wasn't happy with. And I'd look at you, what was going on there? Okay. I started to notice a pattern. The previous day, my mind would turn negative against myself. That was really stupid. Why did you do that? You shouldn't have done that. What were you thinking? Do you remember when you did? Oh, that kind of thing. Sometimes a whole string of self-disparaging thoughts. Next day, I'd lose it. Not really bad. I wasn't very, I don't have an anger tendency, but you know, something a little off. And it's like, wow, it spills over. When we're suffering and we don't attend to it, it makes a big difference. And when we do attend to it, what's really great is that there's a purification process that, that starts to happen. And it requires the whole Noble Eightfold Path. There's no doubt about it. It requires bringing our intention into alignment, bringing our our view into alignment with Dhamma. It requires right speech, right action, right livelihood. It requires mindfulness meditation, concentration meditation. All those aspects and working with ourselves is kind of real commitment to truth. If the mind says, oh no, I'm supposed to be beyond that, I shouldn't be, forget it. This is the way it is. Be with the way it is. It's okay. It's the only way out. It's the only way out. So, um, yeah, you really start to see. So, so sometimes we have to really work with the mind and, and help help ourselves understand the importance of this work and that it really we can see the danger in staying at the level we're at and the opportunity, the beautiful bright opportunity of moving on and understanding this in ourselves and freeing this energy 
And so that gradually those same things are happening and and we don't we don't get affected in the same way. We don't we don't snap at people. We don't um, beat ourselves up in the same way. We hear that voice and we go, I know you, Mara. <laughs> I see you there. That's an old habit. I know where that came from. No, I'm not going to do that. All too often we feel, we feel like that's us. We're identifying with these habits. That's us. That's the way I am. That is a recipe for suffering. One time I was in a relationship and my partner said, well, this is the way I am and I'm not going to change. And I thought, wow. (laughs) This is is who you are? This is the way you... This is the way you are. This is the way you are. Hmm. I wonder how long that's going to be true. When we think that way about ourselves, we're, we're, we're selling ourselves short. We're identifying with something that's not a self. It's, it's just a way of seeing or a habit pattern. Habit patterns are karma. That keeps going after we die. We get to experience that again if we hold on to those. But we don't have to. This is the kind of work that helps us nibble away at it, let it fall away, or let it crash away. Or whatever. <laughs> yeah. How how do you come to terms with not self deprivation and self mortification? To the middle way, which well, is what Buddha right. advocated, the middle way. But then all these extremes of self-mortification, of harnessing, and um, not controlling, that's not the right word, but parameters mm-hmm. versus the middle way, which may have a leniency with discipline. Okay, so I, there are some really good concepts there. I want to tease some of them apart a little bit. Um, applying restraint in our lives, perhaps based on training precepts, because, see, the five precepts that we're all encouraged to hold are moral precepts. If we don't follow the first four, in case you haven't come in contact with them, it's refraining from killing, refraining from taking what is not given, stealing, of course, is a reflection of that. Sexual misconduct, refraining from sexual misconduct so we don't hurt anyone or ourselves in that way, and refraining from false or harmful speech and so on. Those four are moral precepts. The Buddha wanted us to not do those things because that really is going to cause us trouble. And others. We make a safe haven for every being in the world when we follow these. Refraining from drugs and alcohol is not a moral issue. It's it's a significant enough problem that the Buddha included it there because it causes us to do those other four so much more readily. And it, and it clouds the mind. It decreases our chances of, you know, okay, those are, 
those five precepts are the kind of restraint that saves us. Right? There's nothing harsh in there. It's all beautiful. The, the three other precepts that come with when you take eight precepts, so it's not lying on a highly luxurious bed, not indulging in sleep, it's not eating after midday, it's not um, indulging in entertainment, beautification, or adornment, and it's celibacy instead of sexual appropriateness, celibacy. Now those are training precepts. People pick those up because they want to develop in the training of the Buddha Dharma. That's what cuts, that's what blocks the escape routes. They're voluntary, totally voluntary. And they're not harsh. It's not self-mortification, it's not self-harm in any way. And the Buddha talked about precepts differently than commandments. This is for training. This is to help us be better. So restraint is beautiful. I'll give you an example. I was doing some um, I was doing some writing, and I was meeting with um, a friend, and we were we were you know working on creative writing back in the day before I was much more involved in this. And um, she suggested that I try to apply a form to my writing, give it a, a constraint. Just do this in two pages. That was a very, very healthy constraint. It caused me to be much more precise and clear. And so this is this, you know, this is the kind of thing. So if if I if I block off my escape routes, then I really dig deeper. Go deeper, and that's what I'm in in this for. Okay. Now, restraint and renunciation, renunciation, giving up something for something better, renouncing sexual activity for something so much better. Um, it's not everybody's path, so it's okay. But for the people who choose that. Now, when the Buddha talked about the middle way, he was saying, don't harm yourself. Don't harm the body. Help the body. Support it carefully. Don't harm your mind. When I am saying negative things to myself, when I'm beating myself up, I'm harming the mind. When I subject myself to living with someone who's beating me up psychologically or in whatever way, it harms the mind. That's the part we don't want to do. That's, that's, we don't want to harm the body or mind. And we need to give our body and mind what it needs. With eight precepts, there's nothing there that it needs that it's, you know, like, going to starve without it. Like, we don't really need to eat solid food after midday. We can be completely healthy and happy and content without that. 
And the Buddha gave allowances for certain things in case the body needs something or some things I can do within the world. The middle way is also not a way of moderation, really, in my view, in my way of feeling. It's not just, well, I'll just do a little of it instead of a lot of it. I'll just do a little of it. Depends on what it is, but I see the middle way as a different way. It's not indulging in the pleasure of senses. That doesn't mean you can't value beauty. Because the Buddha asked us to be clear in our in our minds. Clarity means I know when it's beautiful. I know what it feels like to see, smell, taste, touch, think what's beautiful. And it's beautiful. You don't have to pull away from it or ignore it. I also know what's ugly relative to the Dhamma, which is very different sometimes than the judgment of the world's idea of what's beautiful or ugly. When somebody's gone in for their fourth facelift, I'm sorry, I don't, I, I feel sad. You know? That that we can't be more who we are and accept the process of aging. Okay, so it's not moderation, or I mean, um, the middle way is not moderation. So it's, but it's not, it's not following those those ideas of you know, indulge, indulge, make myself comfortable make myself really comfortable. Why not lie on a higher luxurious bed? Well, I had a really good example. I was uh, invited to house it for someone in Berkeley. In that really nice area there by the Claremont Hotel. It wasn't like a big ostentatious house, but it was nice. And I was kind of sitting there, you know, I'm a nun, almost mendicant. I took my bowl, walking out there across from the Claremont Hotel. It was great. People were so fun. Very sweet. And, um, and usually when I'm faced with um, options of where to sleep, so they left and... and my friend said, "Now you can sleep anywhere. You can sleep in that room downstairs. You can sleep in this bed. You can sleep, you know." Okay, so I picked a bed. I was sleeping in it, and uh, my son actually—I, you don't know me—but my son was a Buddhist monk for 14 years, um, and he's been a, a very strong mentor of mine. And he was living in Berkeley at the time, and at the monastery in Berkeley, and he came over. And he said, so where are you sleeping? And I said, oh, in that room over there. You're sleeping on the bed? Yes, I'm sleeping on the bed. It's like, I take what's offered, you know, it's no big deal. He said, sleep on the floor. And I'm like, eh. <laughs> 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 And so, 
okay, okay, okay. <laughs> so they had a like a little fold-out mat, and I slept on the floor. He, what he said to me, though, was really important. He said, it has an effect on the mind. I slept on the floor. I've done a lot of sleeping on the floor in the last 15 years, I can tell you. But he was right. My mind was different. You get in that nice luxurious bed. For someone like me, I'm not saying you shouldn't have a luxurious bed. It's like, it's, it's whatever path you're on choosing, that's fine. But for me, getting in that nice luxurious bed, it was really nice. I got it. <laughs> There's a little bit of intoxication there. There's a little bit of who am I in this nice <laughs> On the floor is humility. Humility. Back down to the yep. It's not bad, it's not negative, it's not disparaging, it's just not wrapped in this puffing up. It's not the kind of place you want to lay around. <laughs> you do get up and do your practice, it's like, oh yeah, that, that. <laughs> needs to get off the floor, <laughs> you know, kind of thing. So, all of this is meant to help us. So the indulgence matters, and the and the the self mortification is unacceptable. That's not that's not helpful. I've been in training situations where the training is really hard, and it's not hard because of natural reasons. It's hard because people want to make it hard because they've got their own issues, and it doesn't work. It doesn't work. So it's important not to get confused about what's wholesome and helpful and kind and going to move us forward and whether or not that ice cream is the right thing. We, we really want to care for our minds and our, and our karma. We suffer, and then we forget that we suffered and we do it again. And sometimes again and again and again. And wisdom helps us wake up to the fact that that's suffering, and we can get off that wheel. We don't have to do that again. We can learn why. Why do we do that? Yeah. Um, you mentioned the morning you might talk about a little bit about karma in the old place. I don't know if that's now. That sounds good. <laughs> okay, no. and then we'll break. Um, yeah, so I touched on it this morning. Some of you may not yet be completely resonating with the whole idea of rebirth, karma and rebirth. Our culture doesn't start us out, usually start us out with that concept. We, well, it, it does actually. Most of us who've been grown up in a Judeo-Christian background, there's definitely an idea of rebirth. They just don't call it that. They call it heaven or hell. Well, those are some options. 
<laughs> That's rebirth, you know. It's not that far from what the Buddha and the rest of like Eastern religion um, taught teaches. But there are other options too in uh, the Buddhist cosmology, and in fact, there are so many options. They really coordinate with whatever level or state our minds are in, and. The Buddha saw, as I said this morning, that we keep doing it over and over and over. And I would really encourage everyone who finds that concept challenging to really investigate it. Really investigate it. Because there are lots and lots, there's lots and lots of evidence and there are lots and lots of people who remember their past lives. And they don't have to be um, you know, amazing ultra practitioners, they sometimes people just spontaneously remember a past life in detail. It can be verified. It happens all the time. It could happen to you. In any case, what the Buddha said was he saw his past lives back through eons of world expansion and contraction. Eons. And he said there's no discoverable beginning. Just keeps going. So then we can ask ourselves, well, what keeps going? The Buddha said it's not a soul. It's not a self. It's not a unique identity. Well, what is it? It's our karma. It's our habits. Habits. Because that gets ingrained, forms our character. And that forms, that's our karma. That's what goes ahead. All this stuff, all the unfinished business. I like to think of it that way. Whatever I haven't resolved, that's what propels out into a new birth somewhere. And that can be wherever the causes and conditions of that karmic stream push it. So when my son was a monk, my son stopped being a monk a few months ago, and now he's leading a program in Thailand um, at a Buddhist center, an international program to spread the Dhamma of Ajahn Buddhadasa. Well, be that as it may. <laughs> he said, um, what did he say? Boy, that mind of mine is really impermanent. <laughs> okay, it might come back. Um, the karma that, oh, I know, here we go. One example he used to use, probably still does, um, is we don't pay for something somebody else is buying. We only have to, you might say, pay for what we've done. He said, if you go into a restaurant and you sit down at a table and you order a cup of coffee and there's somebody at the next table ordering a four-course dinner, when the check comes, you get the check for the coffee. They get the check for the dinner. So we don't have to worry about that. 
But what we do need to pay attention to is what exactly kind of a bill are we racking up? And what I said earlier about there being a spiritual path of spiritual recovery, regardless, means that we can change direction. We can resolve the karma. And it's also the case, the Buddha said, that those seeds are still there, but if you change and you're really, you're doing something different now, you're living differently now, then it becomes less and less and less likely that those seeds will take root anywhere and grow. And one way to look at it is that our karma, our our karmic stream, our energetic stream, the unfinished business, it goes out, it goes to where it wants to go in a way, to what's attracting it. So um, there's a monk in Australia named Ajahn Brahm, I don't know if you've ever heard of him, if, if you look around on the internet you'll find his talks and he's great, I think. Um, so do lots of other people. He's like a rock star. In Malaysia, they put his face on the side of the bus. Watch a blog! Is he the one who ordained nuns and got Oh, yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. He got in trouble. He did in the... But anyway, um, he talked about when he was young, uh, he grew up in London, and uh, when he was a student, he went with some friends to a bar one night to a pub and a fight broke out and he was not he did not like it he got out of there and then he found out that fights broke out at that pub every night and he said you know there are people who go there all the time because they like that and he said that's the way rebirth is some people want to go where the fighting is because that's where we are acting, you know, we're acting like that. But we don't have to. And so we can work with our consciousness and we can work with feeding your demons and other techniques to understand these habits we have, understand these reactions we have, understand the unfinished business we have in that way that's not like understand like intellectually, I've got a Revisit all the bad things I did, or all the hurt things I, you know, experienced. Not in that way, but that getting underneath and behind it, so that it can be satisfied or healed, completed. And that that part of the Buddhist teaching where he said, we meditate, we keep the moral precepts, basically we clean up our life. Pay attention to our speech and our actions. We develop wisdom based on the Dhamma. And then we come in contact again and again with that Kama just in our practice. And that's how we wear it away. And then what's continuing on is more purified. The purified karmic stream leads to someplace else. It doesn't lead to the fight, the bar with the fights. Because you don't want to be there. You're not resonating at that vibration anymore. You don't want to be talking smack. 
<laughs> or whatever. You, know? you want you want to be with people who have wisdom. You want to be with people who are kind. You want to develop that compassion and give your life to something wholesome. And it's never too late. While we can still, you know, reason and perceive, it's never too late. Then bring it back to the theme of demons. There is a is a demon unfinished karmic business. That's what I think. Yeah. It's unfinished business. It's a wounded place in there. The wounded places are about misunderstanding life, misunderstanding Dhamma. We have to complete our wisdom. But it doesn't come just through thinking. It's not just about analysis. It's also about contemplation. It's also about opening up to the intuitive, the heart. Thank you. Any other questions at the moment? You guys are real troopers, I tell you. <laughs> <laughs> Putting you through the the feeding your demons boot camp here. <laughs> okay. So I would I think we should take some time to practice on our own. You think you can do it in an hour probably. And you're welcome to go out. How long does it take to get to the ocean? About ten minutes? 10 minute walk. You could go down there and do it if you want to. You can find a partner or you can do it by yourself. Um, can you pass these out? So these three handouts should go out to people. There you go. One more. Here, maybe you can do this one. And I'm going to go in that little room over there, and if anybody wants to come to talk to me during this hour, you're very welcome to. And um, you can practice once or twice, and you can write it down. You can work together or work separately. I leave it up to you, and we'll come back. Let's come back at 3.15. Give it an hour and 15 minutes. And then we'll come back at 3.15 and see what happens. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.